Good morning. Today's scripture will be coming from the book of 2 Peter, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 15. If you want to read along in the Pew Bible, it'll be on page 1079. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for you are these, for you do these things, but you will never stumble. For so the entrance will be supplied to you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you and always see things, though you know you are established for this in this pr present truth. Yes, I think this is right as far as long as I am in, in this tent to stir you by, and remind you, knowing you, this is shortly, I must not uh, be out of this tent. And as far as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, moreover, I, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always never remember these things after my decease. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We do, again, welcome the McCormick family and Gillespie family. What a blessing it is to have them with us. And we're thankful that you're here, and we look forward to worshiping and serving God together. It is awesome to think that this morning, for the first time, there will be a congregation meeting just outside of San Salvador in a little town of about 8,000 people. It's called Tanaka. It will meet there this morning as of uh, the result of 11 baptisms this past week. Uh, God gave the increase. It is exciting that there are two ministers that are so capable that are going to be working along with this congregation as well as another congregation uh, that is well established uh, for several years now. Let's be prayerful for that. Uh, the team returned home uh, safely in the late hours last night. Uh, of course, the team is very grateful for your prayers and for all of the support uh, that you have offered, and we look forward to telling you all about it. Uh, there were about anywhere from 13 to 1,500 patients seen from the medical aspect and a lot of great details and a lot of great benevolence done there. Uh, there were a lot of Bible studies, uh, a lot of seeds that were planted that, that hopefully over the next week or two or month will uh, also provide increase in the Lord's church. Uh, but soon, hopefully, uh, you'll be able to hear a full report about all of that good work. But let's be sure and be thankful to God and, of course, appreciative of each other and, and support each other in the work that uh, has taken place there. I appreciate Andrew uh, preaching last week. Uh, it is also in, uh, exciting uh, to think that he and Catherine have uh, little Luke now in their hands and what a blessing that is. It is exciting to hear of all the babies that have been born recently, and let's make sure that we always encourage our families and let's support them in every way that we can, especially with our prayers. 
remember. Have you ever noticed that the more important something is, the more often people will usually say, hey, remember, this past week, I can't tell you how many times somebody said to me, hey, you do have your passport, don't you? Remember, you have to have your passport on you at all times. Remember, you, you can't leave the country without your passport. I'm assuming that a passport's pretty important. I've never tried to go in or out of country without one, but it must not work as many times as individuals remind you, hey, do you have your passport? Isn't it awesome to think of the fact that Peter, three times in four verses, uses the word reminder or a form of that word to say, I want to talk with you about your soul. You see, early in the text that was just so capably read for us, we saw the fact that he wanted us to make our calling and election sure. And that's back in verse 10. He wants us to have entrance back in verse 11 to an everlasting kingdom. And then he says, for this reason, 12. In other words, because he wants everybody to be sure of their salvation. He wants everybody to have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He says in 12, it's for that reason that I'm not going to neglect to remind you. And then he says in 13, as a matter of fact, I'm going to stir up in you the remembrance that this is important. And then finally in 15, he even says, after I die, I want to leave words that are written. And of course, they're going to be written by, Holy, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, I want to leave words that whenever those words are read, after I'm gone, they will continue to remind you of what is so very important. Many years ago, I made a commitment to myself and to God that I would strive at least once a year to preach at least one sermon that was as clear and as basic as possible about God's plan of salvation. I believe like Peter, I believe that it's something that ought to be stirred in people's remembrance on a regular basis. Of course, throughout the year, we'll have many other lessons that talk about salvation. But this morning, let's have at least one study where from beginning to end, it's reminding us, it's stirring up our remembrance. Are you saved? Do you remember what you did to be saved so that you can tell someone else? Friends, I'd like to begin this lesson by reminding you of the fact that a lot of folks that think they're saved, according to the scriptures, are not saved. And so first I would ask you this morning, no matter what you believe at this moment, if you believe you're saved or you're not saved, if you believe you're saved, would you still go into this study with an open mind to the scriptures and an honest heart to deal in your relationship with God? We're not questioning anyone's sincerity here. We're only wanting to stir each other up to make sure that their calling and election is sure. If you're not saved this morning, I would urge you to realize the importance of a right relationship with God and the fact that eternity is real and how wonderful it would be to share an eternity with God. And what God asks you and I to do, I'm not suggesting to you that it's easy. You see, by nature we're selfish and that's what's easy is to be selfish. But it is simple. It's very simple to give your life over to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm no longer mine. Now I belong to you and I want you to save me. But I do have to realize this. The Lord doesn't save based upon every man or man's religion on how to be saved. 
As a matter of fact, over and over in the Scriptures, the emphasis is placed upon the fact that He has one doctrine that saves. As you're turning, if you will, to Matthew, the 7th chapter, and by the way, I hope you'll turn in your Scriptures this morning uh, due to uh, traveling on the mission trip in conjunction with my computer having a virus. Uh, we're going to go back to the old-fashioned way uh, this morning. So grab your Bibles and let's look in Matthew, the 7th chapter. And as we're looking at this, I'd like for you to think about what the Lord said as the emphasis is placed on one form of doctrine. In Romans, the sixth chapter, in verse 17, he told that we're saved by individuals obeying from the heart that form of doctrine. Notice this single there. He didn't say you can obey this form of doctrine or that form of doctrine, or you can obey forms of doctrine. In Romans 6 and 17, he made it clear it was a form of doctrine. In John, the 14th chapter, in verse 6, he makes it very clear that there's one. As he says, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The Lord is the Savior, and the Lord has given a doctrine of what our response must be in order to be saved. Near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew the 7th chapter, Jesus gives us a glimpse of the day of judgment. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that this short reading will tell us everything about the day of judgment. This is only the aspect of judgment that Jesus wanted us to see at this particular time in his teaching. And what he's going to show us is that there are going to be many religious people on the day of judgment that thought they were saved and they were not saved. As a matter of fact, they are religious people that believed in Jesus and thought they were saved and they were not saved. They were religious people that believed in Jesus and were very active in their religion, but yet they were not saved. Look as we read Matthew the 7th chapter. Hear Jesus saying as he shows us this side of the day of judgment in 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So these people are people that have cried out to the Lord, Lord, Lord. They did a lot more than that in their life. Look at 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now what is Jesus' answer going to be to these individuals. And 23, he's going to say to them, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. Now notice here what is described are religious people that are believers in Jesus Christ. Ones that have called out to the Lord in their life. As a matter of fact, there are ones that have gone out and they have taught, they have prophesied in the name of Jesus. They have fought Satan and demons in the name of Jesus. They have done many wonders, or the King James says, many wonderful works in the name of Jesus. Imagine those people being your neighbors. You would say, I've got the best neighbors in the world. They're all the time speaking a, a good word for Jesus. They're all the time uh, against Satan, wanting to stand up for righteousness. And wow, good works. When we're sick, they're bringing over food for us. They're offering to help in every way. Well, everything I hear about those neighbors is they're just constantly out doing good in the name of Jesus. They must be saved. Friends, this isn't my call or your call. I'm not trying to judge anyone's heart. I'm just preaching the scripture. And the scripture says, no, these particular neighbors, they're not saved. They're as religious as you can be. They are religious in the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe their religion was wrong. 
Now that wasn't the issue here. There will be some people that their religion is wrong, but that's not what is mentioned here. Notice again as we look at 23, the Lord's answer to them was, I never knew you. Friends, these individuals had jumped in the middle of religion. But they didn't start with the Lord. Maybe there's someone here this morning that you spent your time out in the depths of the world and you decided to change your life. And you decided to start coming to worship and you like what you've seen and you've become religious. There are probably as many if not more religious people not saved than there are religious people that are saved. You see, the test I have to give myself this morning is not, am I religious? We're asking, have I made my calling and election sure? And someone says, I I have to have my election and calling sure because I'm religious. I speak good words for Jesus all the time. I do wonderful works in the name of Jesus all the time. I'm against Satan in the name of Jesus all the time. I cry out, Lord, Lord, all the time. I have to be saved. No, you don't have to be saved. Not if you haven't begun. It's like the people that decide to run a marathon. They don't register. They don't start at the beginning. They just jump in on mile 13 and they start running. And at the end of the marathon... They celebrate their victory. The people in charge come up and say, we have some problems here. We don't see where you've registered. We don't have a start time for you. Are you sure you ever began this marathon? Oh, oh, don't give me that. No, no, you're not going to get technical with me. Now, you saw how sweaty I was when I came in here. You saw how I was panting for breath. You saw how I gave all of my life to running that marathon. You saw I was sincere about it. You saw I had my whole family doing it. You saw how I was encouraging other people as I was doing it. Don't give me this stuff about I haven't run a marathon. Sir, ma'am, listen, we're not trying to be difficult. We just want to know, did you finish a marathon? Now note this. I can't finish something right that I've never started right. If you and I are going to finish a righteous life with the Lord, we have to start a righteous life with the Lord. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He's looking at people that if you would have asked them on earth, are you saved, there would have been an absolute Yes, with a clenched fist, with enthusiasm. Yes, I'm saved. And then the sad fact that Jesus is trying to get us to see before it's too late is, no, you never started the way I asked you to start. Well, how is it that the Lord wants us to start? What is it that the Lord wants us to do? Let's look at a few passages. Let's go over to Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Look with me in what we call the first and greatest commandment by Jesus in 
verse 36, a teacher is asking him, what is the great commandment in the law? Matthew 22 and 36 and in 37, Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now notice here, the great commandment deals with love. John 14 and 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, the Lord wants us to love him and to submit Obey, submit our life, every aspect of our life to Him in every way. If the Lord is going to be the first and greatest in my life, then I can have a relationship with Him. But if my idea is, well, I just want to be religious, but I really don't want that to change the way I go to work on Monday. I don't want that to change my my peers at school. I don't want to have to change the crowd I'm running with. I don't want to have to change my entertainment on Friday night or Saturday night. I don't want to have to change the kind of vacations I go on. I just want to be religious. It won't work. The Lord says, will you follow me? Here's what I want. You remember how in the beginning I said it's not easy, but it's simple? It's not easy to give your life away. And give it to the Lord. Lord, I give you my heart, my soul, my mind, and Luke would add my strength. The deepest desires of your heart, is God there? Your mind, your intellect, have you given it over to God? Your soul, your spiritual being, have you given it over to God? Your physical aspect in every aspect of your life, have you given it over to God? You see, there's no such things as compartments where this is my Sunday religion, but then this is the real me on Monday. The Lord says, I want you to give all of yourself to me all the time. Now, to do that, we have to be a believer. If you would, look to John, the 8th chapter. As you're turning there, I'd like for you to think. John, the 8th chapter, I'd like for you to think about the most well-known verse in all the Bible in John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. A belief in Jesus. What are we to believe? We're to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the Savior of mankind, that He came to this earth, that He lived, and that He ascended back into heaven, and they promised that He's coming again. There's so much to believe about Jesus. In John, the eighth chapter, these individuals could believe that there was a Jesus of Nazareth because He was standing in front of them. But what they could not believe, that He was the Messiah. You see, they hadn't taken the time with an open mind and an honest heart to look at the Scriptures of prophecy in the Old Testament and say, you know what? He fulfills them all. Look at the miracles. He truly must be of God. Listening at his teachings, they're so astonishing. Nobody else could do this. You see, they were not honest in their religion, and so therefore they did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. Now, where did that leave them? We can read John 8 and 24 as if Jesus was pointing a finger at them and yelling. I don't think he was doing that. I'm just giving you my opinion about his tone here. I think Jesus was probably pleading with these individuals to help them realize if you turn against me, you don't have anywhere else to go for salvation. Notice how he says this to them in John 8 and 24. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I'm he, you will die in your sins. Do you remember Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, where he talks about that his hand is not short and that he cannot save and his ears heavy that he cannot hear? He says, but your sins or your iniquities have separated between you and your God. 
You see, sin separates us from God. We want to be one with God. That's life. That's living. Separation is death. Sin is what separates us from God. And now Jesus is looking at a group of individuals that are separated from God. Sin is in between God and them. And he's saying, you know what? You're going to die in that condition if you do not believe that I'm the Savior. There's not another Savior. Today, there is a growing belief that there could be salvation in someone other than Jesus. It seems like every year we read of more of what is considered, quote, mainline denominations that go to their conferences and they cast their votes and they decide that they cannot agree upon the fact any longer that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Now again, I want to remind you of what has already been mentioned in John 14 and 6 where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so the question is, do I believe that? I'm going to leave out the name of the denomination, but here is an article that it wasn't in a religious publication. You see, this kind of news, when there is such a drastic change in religion, it makes the secular news. And so pulling off of a secular broadcast here, it names this group that met for their national convention in Columbus, Ohio. And when this was written, it said, last week, and they refused to affirm Jesus Christ as the only Savior of humanity. He, they go on to say in this article, uh, liberals won the day of the House of Deputies, voted overwhelmingly against the resolution that would affirm Jesus Christ as the only name by which any person could be saved. Friends, there are a lot of people today that are saved. You know, individuals that try to reach the Father through Mohammed, they're still serving the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Surely God will have mercy on them. Or they name other Eastern religions that do not believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And they declare that if by chance, maybe they are still serving the Almighty God, so therefore, who are we to judge whether or not their religion is right or wrong? Friends, we have to make righteous judgment. You made a judgment this morning of whether or not you'd come to worship or not. If your daughter was raped, you'd make a judgment of whether or not you thought it was right or wrong for her to be raped. If your loved one was murdered, you would make an immediate decision of judgment whether or not you thought it was right or wrong for them to do that friends anytime God speaks on something we can judge whether or not it's right or wrong so some eastern religion says I'm going to approach an almighty God but I'm not going to do it through Jesus we can judge that we can know beyond any shadow of a doubt it can't be done if I believe Jesus if I don't believe Jesus I can debate it. There's only one way to the Father. The New Age movement where we become our own God. God is within us. We meditate. We find peace with our decisions. And that is our standard of righteousness. We don't reach the Father through ourselves. We reach the Father through Jesus. Jesus looked at those individuals and everybody that's ever lived and he has said, 
If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Look with me, if you will, to Acts the 26th chapter. Acts the 26th chapter, as you're turning there, I'd like to remind you of the need that Jesus taught of repentance. In Luke the 13th chapter and verse 3, Jesus would say, I tell you no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repentance is sometimes hard for individuals to define because by our nature we like to put the burden on someone else. It's interesting to me when I ask individuals to define repentance, they usually will put the burden on God. They'll say something to the aspect of it's me asking God to forgive me of my sins or it's me simply saying to God that I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. Now, Repentance is a part of having our sins forgiven, but that's not by definition repentance. And repentance does involve a sorrow of sins, but that alone is not repentance. Repentance is a turn, it's a change. It's to turn from the life that we live that was without God, and it's to turn to God fully depending upon Him. Repentance takes a lot of trust to say, God, this is my old life, but I trust you now with my new life. This was my old sin, but I'm turning away from that sin, and I trust you to create in me a new life as I submit wholly to you. Repentance is a change that begins in the mind, Romans 12 and verse 2, and then it changes our life, Romans 12 and verse 1. I love the way Paul, standing before Agrippa, He's telling about his ministry and he's telling the things that he preached. Look with me, if you will, in Acts the 26th chapter as we pick up in the middle of his explanation to Agrippa about his ministry. And he says in 20 about where he preached, he says, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles. Now here's what he taught all of these people, that they should repent. Now he defines it. Turn to God and do works befitting repentance, or do works proving repentance. So what is repentance? Repentance is a turn to God. And notice repentance is something that we have as evidence in our life every day thereafter, because every day we do the works that prove repentance. This past week we had the opportunity to work with Jonathan Winchester, who is a missionary working in Latin America work. He's a young man that has recently graduated uh, from college. He's, he's married, and he is going to be a tremendous blessing to the work in Latin America, Lord willing, for decades to come. I remember a few years ago when he was on a trip in Peru, he sent out an email to me, and he, he told me, he said, I've got to tell you a sad story. And he began telling this story. A woman heard the gospel. She wanted to become a Christian. After she was dressed, prepared to enter the waters of baptism, on the way to the waters, she asked one of the preachers, she said, now repentance, do I have to repent in order to be baptized? And they said, absolutely. And they talked about some scripture again with her. And she began to cry. They said, what's wrong? She said, I can't be baptized. And they said, why can you not be baptized? And this woman that lives in poverty said, I have children. And the only way I know how to take care of my children is that I go to the marketplace every day and I steal people's money in their wallets. She said, I know that if I'm baptized tonight, 
I'll go to the marketplace tomorrow and I'll continue stealing. It's the only way I know to provide for my family. What should they have told her? Should they have said, ma'am, don't worry about that. Just go ahead and be baptized. No. Should she be encouraged to repent? Absolutely. Should the fact that she had no plans of repenting be overlooked? No. If you're baptized into Christ this morning, if something's not different on Monday, you haven't really repented. Our works prove repentance. Repentance isn't a verbal statement. Repentance is a changed life. It doesn't matter how many months, years, or decades ago you were baptized, your life today ought to prove the fact that one day in the past you repented. And you no longer live that life. Your life today proves your repentance. Now, We've talked about believing in that Savior so much that you will submit all to Him. We've talked about the need to repent. But we also must be willing to confess. Look, if you will, in John the 12th chapter. In John the 12th chapter. In Matthew the 10th chapter, he, Jesus taught that if we will not confess Him on earth, He will not confess us before the Father which is in heaven. Now, maybe someone says, well, you know, all someone has to do is believe and they'll be willing to confess. No, confession is not just a verbal statement. Confession is also admitting that you're not ashamed of the Lord. There have been a lot of people that have believed that will not change their life and they will not stand up for the Lord. The devil and the demons. James teaches us that they believe, but they tremble. Because they're not going to change their existence because of what they believe. So now we look in John the 12th chapter. Here's a group of individuals that some of them did believe in Jesus, but notice why they wouldn't confess Him as we read the 12th chapter in verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Now here's the principle of why they wouldn't. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You see, these were individuals that were religious. You could ask them, are you children of God? And they would say, absolutely. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God. Were they okay? No, they weren't okay. Were they religious? Absolutely. Not only were they religious, they were leaders in their religion. But you know, they knew who Jesus was. But they would not confess Jesus because they knew if they confessed Jesus, they were going to lose their position. They were going to have to change their religion. They would have to change their occupation and probably would have family that would deny them. And so they concluded in their mind they'd rather have the praise or the acceptance of people rather than the praise or the acceptance of God. Friend, to become a Christian... One has to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And please get this. I think we sometimes miss this. Someone comes forward and says they want to be baptized and we, we have them to uh, 
make the confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that is not a ritual. That is not a ceremony. That's not something that someone does once and for all. That's the beginning of a life. A life that says, I will without shame stand for Jesus. It doesn't matter where I am. If I'm surrounded by Christians or surrounded by the world, if it's in times of peace or if it's in times of persecution, I make my confession. I know who my Lord is and I'm not ashamed. When are sins taken away? Look with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 28th chapter, as we bring this lesson to a close. And we will develop more tonight three passages that teach on baptism. And so to this morning, we will just mention it briefly, not because it's not important, but we will elaborate on that much more tonight. The Great Commission was given by Jesus in the 28th chapter in 19 and 20, but I'd like for you to notice what prefaces it in 18. Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now with this authority, he says to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Notice before he gives this great commission to go and to teach and to baptize and to continue teaching, he says, I want to remind you, all authority has been given to me. Someone says, I don't really know if I want to be baptized because I just hear religious people talking about it enough and I don't know if I can trust those religious people. You're a wise person. I don't know if I'd trust those religious people also. I don't know if I'd trust me if I was sitting out in the audience. And guess what? You don't need to trust me. You don't need to trust any religious person. You need to go to the God that has given us true religion and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And by Jesus' authority, Jesus would say, I want you to be baptized. Acts 2 and 38, for the remission of your sins. Acts 22 and 16, for the washing away of your sins. 1 Peter 3 and 21, so that you can be saved and give a good answer from a good conscience to God. Friends, if you were baptized for someone on earth other than you and your relationship with God, I assure you, you were baptized for the wrong reason. The only reason we ought to be baptized is because Christ commands it I want to submit my life to Christ I want to be saved that's where and when the Lord says I'll take away the guilt of your sin you remember we talked about Isaiah 59 1 and 2 it's sin that separates us from God and it's in the waters of baptism that the guilt of that sin is washed away and we come out of that water spiritually alive a new creation this morning, are you a new creation? Have you made your calling and election sure? If you were saved through a prayer and a few weeks later baptized, notice we didn't read that this morning. We're talking about the most frequent teaching on salvation in the United States today. Turn on a religious show when you go home. Listen to the end. Nine out of ten are going to tell you, say this sinner's prayer and you're saved. Where's that prayer? Search the scriptures until you read them all. You won't find that prayer.
That prayer's from man. There's no such thing as a saved person being baptized. In the scriptures, there's no such thing as an infant being sprinkled. We've just read scripture that teaches us that God asks us to respond to Him if we are willing to love Him with all of our being. We're willing to believe He's the Son of God. Babies can't believe. If we're willing to confess before men, if we're willing to repent, turn away from sin, to be baptized into Christ so that those sins are forgiven and that we are saved. And if that challenges your thinking and you want to study more, please let us know. If you want to study on your own, just go and read through the book of Acts. All the conversions in the scriptures in detail are told in the book of Acts. Please come back tonight and we'll study more about what the scripture says of baptism. Friends, I beg you, all of us are going to stand on the day of judgment and individually we're going to give an account for our life and the Lord is not going to begin by saying, were you religious? The Lord's not going to begin by saying, did you ever teach in the name of Jesus? Did you ever do good works in the name of Jesus? The Lord is going to want to know, did we begin with His doctrine of salvation? By the grace of God, it's offered to us. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.